Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he puts the wise in Samwise, it's Matt Morgan. For those of you who don't know, the abs and colors used to be referred to as junk. And since the new junk pre-constructed deck for Lord of the Rings is a food deck, does that mean we have to call it the junk food deck? (laughs) How have we never put that together before now? Matt, that's actually just, that's not a dad joke. That's just brilliant. I love that. That actually was told to me in real life by my my friend Graham, who Graham may not be a dad, but he is a grandpa. So... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> well, I, I I absolutely dig that, and uh, I hope our our next co-host here will have just as scintillating of a joke for us. Because up next, he puts the sour in Sauron. It's Dana Roach. <laughs> um, I, I had a bad sausage for dinner. It's the worst. Hmm. Uh, oh, it might have gone sour on you. <laughs> I was so close to making a joke like that, but Matt is far too quick for me. <laughs> I feel like this still connects. We we had some very food related jokes for the opening, just completely by accident, and that's you know we did it was we did not we planned none of that. We really <laughs> cut to the crouch, didn't we? Yeah. Oh goodness! All right, Dana, what are we, we talking put some about? Mustard on it, Matt. Uh, oh uh, no no no! We we got we we, we got to move on, Dana. What are we talking? We're about? talking about the 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 niche deck problem. Yeah yeah or. Are there commanders that are getting a little bit too much of a this deck is on rails or this deck builds itself? We kind of want to look into some specific numbers to talk about our feelings on those commanders that feel just a a little bit like maybe they do kind of have a lot of overlap and things like that. But we'll get to that in a moment. Right now, we've got some shout outs we got to do. Yeah, first want to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for the help editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this video on YouTube. You can subscribe in your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. We have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the Discord community for only $2 a month. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDH Retcast, including the weekly patron shout out, which this week we're going to give a very special shout out to Christopher Dudley. So... I think you did the studly thing by going to <laughs> patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. Um, the jokes weren't duds. I like that. That was that was a good one. You know what's also a very studly thing to do? Leaving us a review. That's great. But hey, Christopher, thank you so, so much for your support of the show. Y'all patrons really do make this happen. But honestly, any amount of support helps a lot. We, we genuinely just love all of you. So thank you so, so much. Yes. Okay, guys, let's get into the topic here, the potential niche deck problem. And I think first to sort of describe what this is, we got to lay a little bit of groundwork. So bear with us for a moment. Um, and like, here's kind of my reading on the timeline and I'll see how you guys feel about it. But like, I kind of noticed that like, as commander has become the biggest format, Wizards of the Coast started making more and more legendary creatures. This is not news to any of us, but like at first they started off with, you know, the, the Proshes, the Atraxas and the Muldrothas, which I think were a little bit too far reaching, you know? And over time, as they've been making more and more legends, the commander designs have been less of those far reaching versions and they started to get a lot more specific, a lot more niche. And this is a good and possibly a bad thing. Well, and I do think that we've kind of seen this play out too in standard sets where it used to be there was a signpost uncommon card that would kind of signal what you should be building in those colors for the limited environment when you're drafting cards at FNM or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
since probably the past two or three years, I would say, since Commander effectively became the main focus of design, all of those signpost uncommons started becoming legendary. And to me, that's kind of when everything started kind of turning a corner where we just started getting 40 legends a set. And that would potentially cause another problem too, because because those signpost kind of limited draft commons are supposed to direct you on a, a particular path to use when you're playing, you know, limited. That's really the only way you can kind of build them outside of that environment too. So you have this, you know, every set, a handful of these legendary creatures that basically build themselves and kind of get solved immediately. And, and I don't know if that would be such a problem if it were just limited to the unpopular, uncommon commanders. But we also see this play out in the popular, very powerful legends too, which is where I think so much of the data that we're going to talk about today really focuses on. And we did want to have a couple of numbers here just to talk about, like, is this phenomenon actually true or are we just kind of imagining it? Like, does it only feel that way because of the huge amount of, of of commanders that we get, like 40 plus legends every set, or is there actually something to this? So we did a little bit of research and we compared some numbers uh, from this year against some numbers from last year. There's a lot. We'll throw a chart up on the screen here for the folks who are watching on the YouTube. Um, we won't be able to go over every single number here because y'all listening, that would be just well, far too much. But basically the main point is that, yeah, by every metric, there has definitely been an increase of overlap in a commander's 99 compared to last year. So as an example here, when looking at a commander's full deck, last year there was an average of a 37% overlap, as in like the way that that commander is built is 37% the same as the way everyone else is building that commander. And this year, the average is 41%. Um, and all throughout the board, if we look on a couple of different scopes, we are seeing even bigger increases than that. But generally speaking, yeah, there has been an increase in commanders having a lot more in common with every other deck that uses that same legend as the leader. And, and to be clear, those stats don't necessarily point to people, you know, building all of those commanders in a, in a really specific way that looks just like the next deck. Some of that definitely could be the addition of, you know, cards that are kind of quote unquote staples. So like every time there's a new, you know, Teferi's protection level card that you maybe want to run in every white deck added to the format... That maybe bumps out some cards that aren't necessarily so useful in every deck. And like, so the reason we see this isn't necessarily because of the commanders forcing on a particular build path. Mm. Um, but I, I would argue it's definitely some of it. I would also ar would argue that not just the staples, not just the Teferi's protections, but the cards that fit into that role always seem to get more and more powerful and they kind of push other cards that kind of filled a, a flex role out of the decks. And so if you look at the top 50 cards, we saw a 48% overlap in from deck to deck for any given commander. Whereas this year, we're seeing 71% in the top 50 <laughs> cards. And and I, I think the top 50 cards is a good range to look at because that's effectively what you're going to see minus, I would say, 10, 15 flavor cards that the person's putting in there. But the, the core of the deck, 71% overlap. That is a huge amount of 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 cards that are just kind of battling and fitting into every single deck. So that's why you're not seeing these 50 cent role players anymore. If it's very, very good for a specific commander, everybody's building that one commander wants that card. 
that oh that's such a good point the i i also agree with you that like the top 50 cards of a deck is one of the most core metrics for us to look at and that that jump is huge and by the way the like the the numbers here we're not we're looking mostly we're talking about the average mean like the arithmetic mean but there is also like the the increase is also experienced when we measure by the median as well but yeah matt when looking at the top 50 like that is sort of us excluding the lands that's kind of like the chaff of the deck so like just the core cards of the deck yes it's significantly more overlap there and i think the reason that this is an interesting conversation for us to have is because of those cards you just mentioned those flex slots does it kind of feel like we are losing the ability to have some of those flavor ads or pet cards room for those in our decks because those are some of the things that we love the most about commander and I've kind of personally felt over the years that I'm losing the ability to have more of those slots in my deck. And I think that the numbers do bear out that, yeah, we are seeing room for those types of cards get a little bit diminished over time. Th that's how it feels to me. Matt, does it feel that way to you as well? It certainly does. And one thing that I want to note, too, before we get too deep into the weeds is <laughs> a lot of these statistics, we're just making observations here. We're not making any prescriptive, prescriptive statements about this because build what you want to build play what you want to play that's one thing that i think i appreciate so much about dana or is you, you play the cards that you want to play uh, a friend of the podcast brian kibler one thing when i got to play his decks is he just sits and says these are cards that i wanted to play in the in the deck and they may not have been perfect but they're just powerful cards that he wants to play play what you want to play whether or not it's going to overlap with somebody else or not but back to your question joey Absolutely. The, the the power creep of the format has gotten so big is there are cards that you just you almost can't afford not to play. And that kind of stinks from the player's point of view, because some of these cards are just so powerful for any given deck that you kind of are, are costing yourself some some possible win percentage points because you're not playing a few of these cards that are just too good not to play. Yeah. And, and to piggyback a little bit off the point Matt made too, um, us not liking a particular thing doesn't also mean it's bad. No. Um, you know, I, I don't like onion on pizza for a variety of reasons. Um, the, the texture, the, the taste, whatever. Like I, I have, I, it's not something I enjoy. And if I get a pizza, I'm not going to order onions on it. But if <laughs> you are someone who does like onions on your pizza, you're not wrong. Like me not liking that thing isn't a value judgment on you actually liking it. So I, I, I want to throw that out there too, because we're going to probably talk about whether we like this direction or not. And us not liking it based on how we like to brew or the games we like to play isn't necessarily a reflection on whether or not it's good for you or your pod as well. Like those mm -hmm. are very, very separate things. Oh, I, I, I really like that analogy. Uh, weird food metaphors and jokes are, are back for, for some reason, Dana. So I appreciate you. Oh, it's a full circle moment. It's absolutely. <laughs> I took us on a, on, on a journey there. I've been, I've been watching the bear. So I have food stuff on my mind. Right now. Awesome. Well, and, and since we are the EDH rec podcast too, one thing that we have is all these stats that are going to back up what we're saying in, in these observations. So in May of 2022, there were only five commanders that had over 55% overlap from deck to deck as far as cards that are in the 99. They're, they're not that many. There's only five, and they're mostly focused on some some specific mechanic. We've talked about them a lot before, whether it's Gavi or Kadena, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in June of 2023, a year later, there are 31 commanders, 31 that have 55% or more overlap between any given deck. That is an enormous jump that kind of narrates this point that we've been trying to hammer home of. There's a lot of very specific decks that 
almost kind of build themselves. And, but when you look at them, some of them aren't even all that specific anymore. Yeah, some of those commanders are uh, stuff like Isu the Abominable is also up in the 60% overlap range, which is the Snow Yeti. So it's a snow deck. And so like that makes sense to see a lot of overlap there. But then we've also got stuff like the Swarm Lord and Captain Nagathrod and Sadar Jabari of Jalfir, also in like the 58% to 60% overlap in the 99 range too. And some of those, it's like, okay, so that's a Knight's deck. That makes sense. And this is a Horror's deck, so that makes sense. And this is a... Well, that's just a plus one counters deck. And like, they don't all have easy, ready excuses, but we have more of the Kadena style numbers these days. The percentage of commanders that have 50% overlap or more in their 99 has gone from 7.5% in 2022 to 9.2% in 2023. And if we're going to just focus on the top 50 cards, like the core cards, you know, getting rid of like the lands and stuff, but like just a commander's top 50 cards, that percentage has gone from 57.4% in 2022 to 63% in 2023. So yeah, it's just kind of a thing that we're seeing with a lot of the newer commanders we're getting these days. Now, one thing I do think it's worth pointing out here, though, is while there might be more of those commanders where, you know, the, the Isu deck that you see today is going to look very similar to the one you see from someone else tomorrow. The fact that there's so many commanders being released makes it unlikely that you will see that Isu deck tomorrow. Mm. Like there's just so many choices when it comes to brewing. Um, you know, if this was 2013 or something, when each set would have, you know, half a dozen commanders or so, it might bother me more because you would see that deck very frequently because there were just so few new commanders coming out. And when folks got excited, they would brew and just odds are they were going to brew, you know, whatever the most recognizably powerful commander from that set was. And if it was pretty on rails, it's going to look very similar to the the next Edgar Markov deck at the table <laughs> over from you. But today when there's, you know, 70 commanders in a set, well, even if it's, you know, uh, on rails and, and someone else would brew it exactly the same way, you just might not see it because there's so many different choices. So I think that does soften the blow a little bit about that, assuming it bothers you. And, and I, I think that was worth noting. I, I think that does keep things, even though there's a lot more decks with a lot of overlap in the 99, there's just so many decks out there right now that it like makes it a little bit uh, less frustrating for someone who doesn't like that. Well, and another observation I think is very much worth pointing out is a lot of the commanders that are in this 55% or more overlap threshold a ton of them are from pre-constructed decks, and more specifically, they're from universes beyond. So it, you pretty much any given Warhammer 40k deck, a lot of those have a huge amount of overlap, and I'm willing to bet that the Lord of the Rings pre-cons are going to be the exact same way, because I would wager a bunch of people are trying to get these and then upgrade them a little bit, but they're only going to do that with cards that exist from that given set. So people are upgrading the Warhammer 40k decks only with from other Warhammer 40k cards. Same with Lord of the Rings. So that's why we're seeing a huge amount. The Swarm Lord doesn't specifically say you have to do one given thing, like plus one, plus one counters, whatever creature you control with a counter on it dies, you draw a card. So, but counters is very, very open-ended, but it is still is showing up with a huge amount of overlap from deck to deck, over 59%. And so I would wager, even though it's not a super specific way to build a deck, people are still staying pretty loyal to the source material that we're taking it from. And that's why we're seeing some of those also coming in at a very large clip. 
Yeah, that's very fair to point out. Although there are some that do still stand out that are not from precons, which I think is worth pointing out. Like Gorion, Wise yeah, Mentor, sure. which is an adventure commander, or Satsuki uh, is another one. Uh, Faraday is another, which I think is a coin flipping. I-, I wonder if like part of the problem isn't the commanders themselves. It's just the support that these commanders have and how small that support is. And if like the 99 specifically and the cards that can go into the decks is actually the thing that requires more versatility, more support that doesn't feel like these are the only cards that can support that strategy if that's a different way around this conundrum if it is indeed to be read as a conundrum for me like the problem isn't whether a deck feels like it necessarily builds itself because i also know that that can be a very comforting experience for folks who do not want to have to stress about what is it i'm supposed to put into these decks like deck building is really fun for me dana i know it's really fun for you matt i think you tend to be a little bit more of the like i want to finish it and let it be there and i don't want to have to constantly worry about tinkering this thing Mm because that's not the fun part of it the playing is the more fun part of it so if a deck does feel like oh this is pretty straightforward and it feels like this is kind of the only way you might build this deck that is not inherently a negative statement to have about a deck for me the actual potential uh, concern about this actually comes in it isn't if like the dex 99 feels like it's losing its variance my worry is more like does this lead to the feeling that sometimes the games themselves lose their variance too if the deck feels not just that it kind of quote built itself but it also felt like it plays itself like does the game feel like it plays the same way every single time because that's where i might start to lose interest in a deck a little bit um but yeah, to get back to your point, it's not necessarily a prescriptive thing. It's just like th- these are just small things about personal taste that could be informative here. And the, the data is interesting to look into about all of that. So that's, d- that's just sort of where my brain is at when entering this conversation. See, I, it depends on the deck and my, my goals when I'm building a deck. If it plays the same way, it's probably because I, I very much want to do that one specific thing. And, and I know a lot of CEDH players, for example, they, they build around one specific interaction or one combo that's yeah. going to get them to the win. And, and if that's the goal for the deck then then go ahead and do that because i i have decks that like to do that too but if you're interested in kind of trying to build a puzzle and and solve it that way i know dana that's very much your mo in building decks then yeah that's just how you want to build it and that just comes down to personal preference and that's why there's so many different people playing this format is because the format itself is so customizable and big that there's space for however you want to be building those decks yeah yeah, I love that. And and it's good to point out CEDH because, to be honest, like CEDH, if we zoom into that specific part of the format, the number of overlap there is like in the high 70% for all mm-hmm. of the CEDH decks. So the numbers we've gone over uh, so far did not actually like just queue in on those. Um, but yeah, for example, uh, I think it's Kraum and Timna have an average 72% overlap in the 99 because, as you said, there's like it's, it's dedicated there. And that is true regardless of whether it was last year or this year, like that number has been consistent. Um, so that's a very good thing to, to point out there but yeah to get to your point about like games feeling a bit more like a puzzle that's why i like babala saga so much because every turn i have to do something weird with her i don't know how am i going to solve the little task of getting the different card types for this commander's ability so every turn stays fresh engaging it's something new and the the variance is very built into that and so that's the type of thing that i seek and so that's that's just where my brain again is at when it comes to these things that might or might not feel like they're on rails either when building the deck or in the gameplay experience It's such a weird thing, too, because like we have on this very show talked about how there's no energy commander. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And at some point they will definitely print one and, and that will satisfy a lot of people's desires. 
at the same time, we simultaneously kind of complain about commanders that are on rails that are asking you to build a certain way. So, like, you can't make everyone happy. You can't make the same person happy sometimes from day to day to day. Like, <laughs> what you want and what you request might be the same thing you complain about. So, mm-hmm. I, I am fully aware that there's some irony here to, to this conversation and us talking about maybe not necessarily loving some of these commanders that are you know, suggesting a really specific built path because we've just talked about asking for that sometimes in the past. That, Dana, I love you. Yes, that's the perfect example for this. Like, Matt, you just got Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil is finally a five-color saga commander. That's so exciting. You love that deck. I already know that you love that. We were talking about it right before we started recording. Yeah, I, I do. And and it's such a fine line for the design team to walk. Yeah, yes, we want, we want a commander that's going to empower or enable any specific strategy, but we don't want it to be too powerful or too narrow that it builds. Itself. So it's all respect to the to the design team. It is not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. And so getting something that lets us have sagas, but also something that you still want to have input, you still want to have agency. It's the same way as, you know, we talk a lot about cards that take agency away from players in the game. Well, if you build a commander and you still want to have that same agency over how the deck is being built. That's why you look at some of the the legendary werewolf commanders that we got. Mm. Some of them just weren't good, and so people were still playing Rurik Thar as their werewolf commander yeah. until we finally got one years and sets later to finally have a proper, decently functioning werewolf legendary creature. That That's just it, right? Like, when we see... Urtet, you know, the Mirror Commander, or when we see Tom Bombadil, or when we see Goshintai to finally give us five color shrines. This is all we are. We feel this relief that we finally have a place to put all of the strategies. And yet also, as time goes on, we start feeling this annoyance that those are the de facto commanders for that strategy forever now. Like, if you're going to build shrines, well, why wouldn't you just build Goshintai? Like, that starts to be another thing that mentally creeps in. And that is absolutely the balance that we as players have to reckon with. And in Watsi's shoes, like, as game designers, what is it that they do? Like, this is the thing that players are asking for, are clearly gunning for. Like, we can't wait to get that kind of thing and yet it's also a thing that over time we're a little bit like but this thing built itself and so like this is such a knife's edge it's such a weird balance well and we've been dancing around it a little bit here i guess but like we might as well talk about what we actually individually think about this this style of design and the brewing that comes from that so like what do you think about this matt like do you like this kind of trend because I, I think we all agree there's somewhat of a trend moving this direction where Watsi's just giving you a commander that's that's being asked of you to build in a very specific way. Is that something you like seeing that shift or don't like? Uh, I don't mind it because there are still plenty of commanders that we've gotten okay. that are open-ended that don't really tell you this is how you should be building this. There, There's all sorts of different ways you can interpret it. I mean, Dana, you, you've done the same thing, Joey, you too. Mm-hmm. And so I... I, I like the bounce they've struck. Yes, sometimes they give us one that is very specifically focused on one theme. My issue is how powerful and how forced is it going to be where, okay, you, you did your thing and now you just win the game on accident. Tom Bombadil, in having brewed this, there are some 
some ways that you can just accidentally just stumble into, oh my gosh, I just did like everything on one turn. Nobody really had a chance. And, and I didn't really have any agency. Just the commander played itself. That's the issue that I would say that I have with some of these very focused and narrow commanders is, are you playing the deck or is the deck playing itself? That's where having everything keyed in on one specific mechanic or whatever it is, that's where I don't love some of the, the how forced it feels, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I, I actually I think I more or less agree with you. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with commanders that are forcing a narrow build. It's when they force a pretty narrow build and it feels like it does the thing really easily. Like, you know, I, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but like Eureka would be an example of one I don't like. That's suggesting a pretty narrow build. And every Eureka deck looks kind of the same. And it also feels like the person really didn't have to do much to deal 12 damage to me every turn. Um, so so I, I don't necessarily love it when I feel like it is suggesting a really obvious build. And it feels super powerful without requiring the user to do very much. Um, but the reality is I, I, I think I engage with this game differently than most players do. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I'm playing Diablo 4... I'm playing that game the same way the vast majority of the player base is playing Diablo 4. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true of Commander. Um, and I, I do think the average player who's out there buying pre-cons and brewing decks through LGS or playing with their friends at home, I think they do like a, a, a Commander that's suggesting to them this is what you should put in it. And, and I think the games they play with their friends with those decks are probably enjoyable for them. So while I don't necessarily like it, I don't think it's bad for the game. And I would guess most players who aren't out there engaged with Commander at the level we are probably do like it this way. And it's probably good for them. And that's a very, very good point that I I really want to emphasize too, Dana. People that are as invested as we are, you know, the three of us are more invested than I would wager 99% of the player base. Just the fact that we've done this (laughs) podcast even for, for... Shoot, five years, guy. That makes mm. me feel old. <laughs> but the the fact that we we've devoted so much time, we're very deep into the game. A lot of folks they they may not have the time or energy to devote to brewing decks, to continually updating, keeping the spreadsheets, the murder boards that you have of brewing decks, Dana. I mean, that's one thing I know Joey and I like to make fun of you about. But like, <laughs> it, it just shows your your level of devotion that I think the typical player just doesn't have. And that's honestly, for sure, that's probably why EDH Rec is such a popular tool for so many people is they don't have the time or energy to devote into yeah. looking up these minute interactions that are, are very, very powerful, but they're, just, they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of folks just they need something kind of to hold their hand maybe because they don't a they don't have the time to devote to brewing decks like you do or just they, they don't have the desire they just sometimes just okay i just want to brew a deck real quick what does this do that looks fun let's let's go there yeah i've got a lot of mixed feelings on this and i know that uh my co-editor chase aka mana curves also has a lot of feelings on this uh, chase really loves to say that commander players love a challenge and I absolutely agree. It's very much that that uh, that old mantra of restrictions breed creativity. And I think that commander players love a challenge, but they don't realize that they love a challenge. <laughs> um, we will we will ask for those energy commanders. And if one comes out in colors, like let's say that they made an energy commander and it was like only blue red, for instance, and we expected it to be in blue, red, and green. If they they made one and it wasn't all of the colors that we wanted, to me that it would actually I I, I would kind of love that. 
I think I personally prefer a little bit more of the Satsuki, the living lore over the over the Tom Bombadil type of thing. Like it is very specific and you do like if you're going to make a five color commander, I want it to be like on a very niche build path because I don't want it to be too open ended. And uh, we don't need more Kenrits in the world is basically what I'm trying to say. But having having more of like Satsuki, which is just a green and white version of a saga commander that is engaging to me. I like when Wizards makes multiple variations on a theme. I think to me, that is the, the thing that I look for. Like, Dana, you brought up Yuriko. That's not the only ninjutsu commander that they've made. They also made Satoru. And I am relieved when I see those because it gives us different outlets on things to do or, or like matt uh you've got the food and fellowship precon i think we talked about it recently on another episode and that one has two different variations of uh, actually a couple of different variations of has different several commanders. yeah yeah different commanders that you could pick and some of them function as like a card draw engine and then there's another that functions as like here's the win condition so you can choose do you want the engine or the payoff in your in your command zone and that is also a fun way to like it, you're building something niche but you're exploring it in a couple of different ways and i think that really helps us with without it feeling like there's any one way to do that strategy. It doesn't feel like you have just the de facto commander. There's a couple of different paths that you can take down. To me, that feels like a, a very helpful solution. Yeah, like like we said, you know, you, Joey, you and Dana both like brewing decks. I just like playing decks, and sometimes I don't have the time or energy to brew something new. And so when I see something that kind of like a Tom Bombadil that mm -hmm. I don't mind so much if it is a little more focused because honestly, that's what I was gonna do with it anyway. So if it's focused, <laughs> that doesn't really matter to me because I'm more concerned about doing the thing instead of the commander that does the thing, if that makes any sense. And I don't know if it does. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the one comment I will have here, and I'm, 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 I've been trying for the last you know minute to figure out in my head how to phrase this politely. Uh, while I agree that, that people want a little bit of freedom to, to brew and they wanna have like the chance to be creative, um, my one minor pushback on what Joey talked about, about people wanting to be challenged, mm -hmm. I think people like the illusion of challenge perhaps a little more than they like being challenged. Hmm. Like the stats? If you go No, Matt, you go I said, oh my God. <laughs> what? No. I was waiting, Joey, that, I was waiting for you. That wasn't that wasn't where I was going, but I can I can absolutely come back to this point because that was magnificent. I, I was waiting for Joey to pick it up and like can't pick I thought I you were listening. doing it very intentionally, Dana. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was not, but I'll come back to it. Absolutely Matt. I, I really. thought I thought that was gonna be a that's what she said joke or like we're waiting for somebody to say the punchline because it's so obvious. I was giving Dana the respect he deserves with my rapt attention. It, it seems so obvious. Well done. Yeah. It, it was it was almost as obvious as Tom Bombadil being a saga's commander. <laughs> okay. All right, Dana, we'll let you finish that point. But for now, we're going to take a ridiculous break and challenge some of the stats on EDH Rec right after this break. Oh, man. So this week, we have a challenge sent to us by a listener, Mega Magikarp. You can find them on Twitter at Megamagikarp underscore YT. Um, it's for Thalese Reverent Medium. Hey. But actually, I think this card probably should see more play in almost any go-wide deck that would have access to the color black. Um, Thalese in particular is a commander that's known for making a whole bunch of tokens and going very, very wide. Um, I've seen Joey just make a disgusting amount of tokens with this deck. Mm -hmm. uh, for most of the least decks, they, they want to focus on creating a large lethal board um, to get in combat damage for the win. Um, but sometimes pump effects are helpful to, to make that happen. Um, keeping up mana for responses is always very useful. And that's where this challenge comes in. And it's for the card Dark Triumph. 
that's only had one printing way back in Nemesis. So the card after my heart, it's four and a black. Creatures you control get plus two plus O till the end of turn and then it's an instant. However, it also says if you control a swamp, you can sacrifice a creature instead of paying Dark Triumph's mana cost. <laughs> and in the least decks especially, you have access to all of the creatures. And because it's an instant, you can cast it at any point in time, including when someone throws a blocker in front of one of your creatures. So it's something that you can cast when tapped out, when no one's ready, when no one thinks you have lethal coming in. They go to block one of your spirits, you sacrifice it, and cast Dark Triumph for nothing and give all of your creatures plus two, plus oh. Um, and, and the other thing is, in that deck, you tend to, I, I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, true convictions, and I've seen a lot of Acroma's Wills and stuff that, like, give double strike. What's nice about this is it stacks with those effects as well. Mm. So you can put your double strike on something, and then for zero mana, drop that Dark Triumph onto it. I think that's a really good card in these kind of decks, particularly because you can cast it for nothing when no one's ready. It's in three Thelese decks. Uh, it definitely should be in more. I'm fully on board with the suggestion from, from Mega Magic Card for Dark Triumph. It's about to be in four. I am going to give this there a we shot. Go. That is super cool. Because like I, I have a lot of very obvious uh, combat pump stuff in my own version of Thelese, but I don't have like combat trick kind of stuff, and that is definitely a perfect one. The fact that it's also technically, it lets you sacrifice a thing, so if you happen to have like a Bastion of Remembrance in play, yep. or a Nadir's Nightblade, you need one more trick triggered that's also a little bit of extra gravy on top of this card what a clever pick i am giving this one a look that's a, a really great pick for a deck that goes as wide as this one dang i'm i i feel like maybe we all have those moments where it's just like oh they're challenging the stat on a, one of my decks well <laughs> i think i'm you know really good at my deck so we'll see right. like can they impress me this one did nice i i absolutely love that all right i will move to my challenge now and i want to talk about the new shelob child of ungoliant commander which this thing just real quick is absolutely bonkers like this is a six mana eight eight spider demon and it does not have downsides it only has upsides this is a six mana eight eight with death touch and ward two and it gives your other spiders death touch and ward two and it says whenever another creature dealt damage this turn by a spider you control that dies create a token that's a copy of that creature except it's a food artifact with the classic food ability sacrifice it pays you you gain through life and it loses all of their card types which that food token also is just like off the chain i absolutely love this so already aside from like the fact that this commander is just bonkers six mana eight eight with upside like what is going on there i want to dig into a possible non-bow that's going on in some of its deck data that i think is important for people who are building this commander specifically the card academy manufacturer is showing up in 35 percent of the over 1500 shelob decks we already have in the database and i think that one probably needs to be scaled back not because academy manufacturer is not a good card that card's awesome that card's crack if you would make a clue, food, or treasure, instead create one of each. What an amazing creature. I love this thing. The problem is that apparently that replacement effect conflicts with Shelob's replacement effect. So if you were to try and make that food token off of Shelob, but you were to apply the Academy Manufacturer effect, you would just get a regular food, and you would not get the food that is the copy of the creature, but it has all of those abilities, but it loses the other card types and stuff. So you would just get like the regular Academy Manufacturer output, and you wouldn't get the special food token, which is kind of the, the thing that you want from that commander after all. I don't personally entirely know 
exactly how that is all supposed to work. But I looked up and Wizards of the Coast rules manager Matt Tabak is like, yeah, no, uh, you just end up with a clue, a treasure, and a regular food. So I'm going to take a word from the rules manager guy that this doesn't <laughs> quite work the way that people want it to. So 35% of folks playing Academy Manufacturer in Shelob might be a little bit too high because it is a non-bow with the commander. Yeah, non-bows are always something to keep an eye out for. And, and if Matt Tabak is doing it, you probably can believe what he's saying. <laughs> so I, call me crazy. Uh, but I'm going to wrap us up with challenge of stats this week. So mine isn't so much for a specific card in the deck, but we've been talking a lot about Tom Bombadil. I've been thinking a lot about Tom Bombadil as a deck. And there's one interaction with a mechanic that I think specifically folks aren't giving enough attention to. It's showing up in a few cards already on the, the average deck, but that's just because the, the cards themselves are very, very good. But any saga with the read ahead mechanic, I think you should be giving two or three looks at, not just the first glance over. So <laughs> sagas enter the battlefield. You, you go through the chapters, you get an effect every chapter that happens on your turn. But the read ahead mechanic says you can choose a chapter and start with that many lore counters, add one after your draw step, skipped, chapter, ch skipped chapters don't trigger, and then you sacrifice after chapter three. So effectively, you can play a saga, and if it has read ahead, you can set it to chapter one, two, three, five or six, whatever is on there. So with read ahead and Tom's second ability, where whenever the final chapter of a saga resolves or triggers, excuse me, you get to reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit a saga, then put on the battlefield. Uh, this is just absolutely fantastic to get some small effects or big effect, depending on the saga with read ahead. And then you just get to flip into another saga all over again. So already there are cards like the elder dragon war phasing of Zalfir that are very, very good. Mm. Uh, the cruelty of Gix is another fantastic saga just by itself. But with read ahead, you get a lot of value out of these two mana sagas that I think otherwise aren't going to be all that great. Uh, Yoshia declares war is a fine little effect for for one in a red. Uh, if you read ahead to chapter three, you get to un up to one target artifact. You control becomes a creature with base power and toughness of four, four until end of turn. But then it also triggers Tom's triggered ability, which means you get to pay two mana, turn something into a four, four, and then flip into a big, more powerful saga. I think that is totally worth it. Uh, the founding of the third path might be the most powerful version of this because it gives a instant or sorcery in your graveyard flashback, but it's only for two mana. And then you also get to flip into, I don't know, like some other Kiora, Best the Sea God, which is one of my favorite sagas. <laughs> but there's so many powerful things for just a few mana, getting some nominal effect, which sometimes is almost worth the mana cost anyways. But then combining it with the triggered ability from Tom Bombadil, absolutely just silly, go wild types of value. So if you want a way to kind of push your Tom Bombadil deck over the edge, look at those sagas with read ahead. They are absolutely just silly powerful. That's excellent. What a very crafty synergy. I cannot wait for us to uh, play against each other and for you to absolutely smite me with all of these uh, saga stories because, um, yeah, flipping into new sagas is really, really good in that deck. <laughs> very, very powerful. Yeah. I'm not worried about it at all, promise. Totally not. Totally not. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to our topic now after we've done the challenge of the stats where Dana, you were talking about types of challenges. So let's let's let you finish that thought now <laughs> without any more horrible interruptions from Matt stealing my segues. <laughs> 
It hasn't been your segue for a year, Joey, so I don't know. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It's it's our segue collectively. <laughs> our um, segue, comrade. Yeah. I, I, my, my comment would be that I, I talking about people liking being challenged. I, I think they like the illusion of challenge maybe a little bit more than they like actually being challenged. I think when you have a commander like um, the one that really pops to mind is Prime Speaker Vanifar, where it's super on rails, you're going to sacrifice a creature to probably chain into something that wins you the game, and mm. it's going to play the same way every time. I think that there's a reason that commander is relatively low down on in terms of like the popular submit commanders. Mm. Um, but it's not like AC Tyrant of Gyre Strange is real difficult to pilot, or Kinnon <laughs> yeah. Bonder Prodigy, or, or Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief. Those are all super, super powerful, and they're kind of on rails, but I think they let you, they let you tinker with it enough that it feels like you are responsible for that level of power um, versus something like, like Prime Speaker Vanifar, where it's very difficult for you to convince yourself that you are the reason you just won that game. So I, I, I don't entirely agree that people want to be challenged. I think they want to present the illusion of challenge in a lot of cases while being perfectly willing to have that commander do a lot of work for them as long as there's enough dials to make it look like they were responsible for it interesting regrettably i'm on board for a lot of what you said there i i will still maintain that i i don't know i feel a strong desire for the challenge myself but like when i look over the top commanders of the past two years I, I, I will admit that a lot of them fit the scope of what you were just talking about, and they fit a certain pattern that I personally find a little bit distressing about commander design. Like the rank number three commander uh, of of the past two years right now is Lathral Blade of the Elves, which is excellent and play it you should this commander is awesome it is a four mana two three with evasion it's got menace and whenever it hits someone you make that many elf tokens equal to the damage it did and it has this ability of tapping a bunch of elves you control to make your opponents lose a bunch of life and you gain life and i mean yeah i see why that's so appealing Part of the thing that I find is distressing about that type of design is that it is a little bit self-contained. And that, to me, is a little bit of the, the, the stuff that I get worried about when it comes to commander design, especially with niche commander design. Because that commander is kind of able to do its own thing, reg almost regardless of what else you've got in the deck. Like, that commander all in the zone, it, it feeds into its own abilities. And I feel like we see a lot of that type of pattern of commander design these days, where it's very... Uh, Whenever you X, do Y. And also, here's an ability that facilitates X. And that that sort of cookie cutter stuff makes commanders a little bit more eh, for me. Um, you know, I, that's why I really enjoy stuff like the Mimeoplasm. Like, the Mimeoplasm doesn't f mill my own graveyard, but I feel like if they were to print a version of the Mimeoplasm today, it would have a when you cast this, mill a bunch of cards kind of effect to feed its own ability. That Those are the types of designs that I'm a little bit uh, worried about because I feel like they... I mean, they're good. There's a reason they're so appealing. And if you like them, absolutely play them. I am going to enjoy playing against your lateral deck. I just get a little bit worried by the tendency of seeing that type of design echoed throughout so many different legendary creature designs because I feel like it, uh, it could lead to some things that Wizards of the Coast did not intend to happen. Well, and I will quick, I want to quick throw this one caveat out there too. While I'm someone who tends to build commanders that aren't terribly popular, I'm also not grabbing like nine mana vanilla four fours or something from back in Legends. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I, I want commanders to do something too. So like I, I understand the desire to have something in your command zone be effective. Um, so d don't get me wrong. I, I, I also am someone who does that. And when I say people want to have something powerful in the zone that maybe gives them the illusion of, of, it being uh, tricky and wanting to work for it. 
I mean, I, I'm saying that as someone who fully recognizes, I also want my commanders in the command zone to do a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I wish that they didn't always, like Prosper didn't need to have all of those words on it, you know? Prosper's great, yes, but like right. the fact that it enables so many of its own abilities, I'm just like, yo, this was a recursion engine that like, did, you, did y'all test this all the way? And, and, and like, that's fine. It, you know, it's absolutely cool. Uh, I have commanders like this myself. Sir Conrad, why does he have that many words on him? Why is he enabling his own ability? Right. <laughs> he, he's an uncommon. He did not need all of those words on him. And and so that's it's not about any individual commander. I don't care about any specific commander. They can print strong cards. That's absolutely awesome. It's more just about like this is a a type of tendency throughout commander design. And like that overall trend is another thing that I think kind of leads to this feeling of decks feeling like they're a little bit on rails or they kind of play themselves because the commanders themselves are part of what is self-contained about the strategy. Well, and I think to me, the peak of this do the thing, get a thing, and also, here's a way to do the thing. Marnius Kalgar was just instantly, I saw that. And again, this is my personal preference speaking. This is not a judgment towards people playing Marnius Kalgar. It was probably the most like, okay, this is basic AF, as the youth <laughs> say. Uh, I, absolutely just zero interest. It felt very... I don't want to say lazy because we've already talked about how hard a job the design team has, but it just felt very, okay, we'll do the thing and get draw a card. And also we're going to find a way to do the thing. It's just, it, it, it's the Esper commanders already. I don't have a ton of love for just, I have never bonded with that color combination. I sorry, Joey. I know that that's one of your favorites. That's, that's you, but <laughs> Marnie's Calgar just it, tokens into the battlefield, draw a card. Here's a way to make tokens. That's just the the pinnacle in my mind of this effect that you're talking about. Yeah, and and to again, it's not about any individual commander, but like when the commander is solving its own equations, that that is a thing that I think mm -hmm. can cause me personally to feel a little bit like I might. I worry that I might get a little bit more tired of it the more that I play it because it feels like the strategy it's it's already doing it's going to play the exact same way every time because the commander is sort of written that way and genuinely one of the most fun experiences that I had recently while I was brewing was when I was building my Vohar reanimator deck Vohar has a bunch of words on it it is a two mana one two Phyrexian merfolk wizard that has an ability to loot to tap draw a card then discard a card and then it has a bunch of other words on it like if you discarded instants and sorceries you'll ping your opponents and you can sacrifice it to flash back instants and sorceries from your graveyard but you have to pay for them and it's only as a sorcery and like none of those words to me were relevant the thing that i enjoyed the most about building this deck was that i was genuinely only using this commander as a merfolk looter just as a discard outlet in the command zone to get stuff into my graveyard for cheap and then the deck that i built was full of a bunch of animate deads and zombifies and there was actually still that puzzle in the deck of can i make just a traditional regular reanimator strategy work even with these kind of clunky four or five mana reanimation spells the commander facilitated that strategy but it didn't solve that strategy for me all on its own and that felt to me like one of the most rewarding explorations and deck building experiences that i've had in a while because it was a puzzle both while playing and while building and that just really stands out to me because i think that is actually a little bit of a deviation from the way that that commander perhaps was intended to play when it was being made and that is a thing that i personally found rewarding and it just it sticks out in my mind that that is a different feeling than some of the other decks that i've built you know so since we've kind of established this as a trend and i and i don't think it's a trend that's probably going to stop anytime soon <laughs> um if, if this continues at the rate it's at or, or or even accelerates 
do you think that's bad or good for the format overall? Not just talking about like what we like or dislike. I'm curious what you guys think about whether or not it's 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 a problem or not. Hmm. What do you think? like, Joey? Do you have any thoughts on whether or not that's it's going to be an issue if this continues? I I will admit I have a teensy bit of a worry that like it it isn't just about the product fatigue that happens to the players. There is a design fatigue that I think we've already seen hints of, and this is something I've mentioned in past episodes before too, where occasionally we'll see commanders that eat into each other's exact design spaces. Specifically, I found myself a little bit frustrated when I saw that they made Celestine, which revives things based off of the life that you've gained, and then rolled off immediately after it, which is in one more color. It's in Orzov instead of mono white, but it also has the same effect of revive stuff equal to the life that you gain that turn. Or Wolfgar, which doubles your attack triggers, and Ishin, which doubles attack triggers. It's sort of almost exactly the same type of design just in slightly different colors and to me that is a worrying thing of just like are the design teams like communicating well with each other because i don't think we should have had these two things happen so close to to one another that is more my worry i think is that it, it feels like the commanders themselves can become a, a little they can feel a little bit more rote if it feels like oh well i can actually just do this exact effect almost wherever and this particular commander's ability doesn't feel quite as special if it turns out that they're going to repeat that same effect later on down the line. I'd like slightly different variations on those designs rather than almost verbatim the same design just across a slightly different color or in a slightly different mana cost. Um, that is a, a thing that I find personally a little bit frustrating. That's just on the design terms, though. On the player terms, yeah. I, I like What's that quote from the uh, the folks who made the, the Civ game series is that players will optimize the fun out of a game if you give them the opportunity. So design has to make sure that they protect players from themselves. Yeah. And that is also absolutely true. And I think that's what you were hinting at earlier, Dana, where like players like an illusion of challenge sometimes more than an actual challenge. And so th that is a thing that we as players also definitely have to be aware of is that like none of these are a hint of something doomsday and we can still play whatever we want. If you want to play the Rurik Thar as the werewolves, you still can't, you still should go do that. That sounds awesome. I think that that's also a thing that we can keep in mind. Um, if we see a lot of commanders that feel prescriptive, we can choose whether or not that's a, 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 you know, a bone that we want to throw or not. Um, so a lot of mixed feelings on it personally, but I have a couple of worries both on the player side and on the designing side. See, I don't know if I'm as worried about it as you are, Joey. Is it a, could it be a problem? Yes, I think it could be. It depends on how widespread it becomes. Is it, are, is every single commander that we're getting hyper-specific and, and to the point where it's, it's, going to see a huge, you know, over half the deck is going to be the same from deck to deck, or is it going to be, you know, we get of the 40 we get any given set <laughs> are five or six of them like that. If that's the case that I don't mind, because there's still going to be plenty of commanders for those who want to have a more open-ended experience in the deck building process, but there's still going to be some commanders that, okay, you know, I, I've wanted to do this thing. We finally get to do it and it only does this thing, but that that's fine. I don't really think that's too big of a problem until it becomes over half of the commanders become like that. Mm. And when there's more commanders that are so hyper specific, they only do one thing and they do it maybe a little too well. That's when I would get worried. But as long as it's only a few commanders, any given set, I don't think it's that big of a deal because it, sometimes you have to be able to empower this thing. And sometimes there are mechanics that need a little bit of help and that's totally fine. I, I get that. It's, it's a struggle to design cards. Well, and 
and yeah, I, I'm not a card designer. So as long as it's not something that it, literally every single commander is so hyper-focused, that's when I would start to get worried. Yeah, a, a really good point. We do still want that energy commander, as was pointed out yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as we've been saying for years at this point. On, honestly, I kind of, I'm thinking to myself here that like potentially one of the biggest impacts I think it might actually have is not even necessarily on like the commander gameplay, but actually on the lore of the stories. Because I feel like we used to get legendary creatures whenever the lore said, oh, this is a person that is prominent within the story. And now that they are like, oh, we're going to design 40 legends for a thing, they have to find ways for those legends to pop up within the stories. And that can feel a little bit more forced as opposed to it organically happened within the story and then they'll be represented on the cards the cards are the thing that comes first and the story comes second and that actually is almost like a thing that i'd be a little bit more worried about it's just like hmm, is the story suffering because of the way that commander is being designed in priority uh th that's actually a thing that i'm kind of musing on right now and i need, I need to chew on that thought for a while yeah it, it's a it's a difficult question to answer for me without sounding like an elitist <laughs> um which I am. <laughs> <laughs> we know that you are, but at least you're honest I mean, about right. it. Right. Like I, rec I recognize oh it. Oh, my God. Um, but, it, it, but like I said, I, I'm trying to separate what I what I enjoy from what, what I think the player base enjoys. And just because I don't enjoy it, I, I don't want to read too much into thinking that's bad for the game as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think if I leaned to thinking it's not necessarily great because I think it creates repetitive play experiences and, and and i have a feeling that that even people who aren't invested don't necessarily love seeing that mm -hmm. um but again i as i mentioned a little while ago i think that's protected somewhat by the sheer volume of cards that come out i i just think you are not going to run into those decks nearly so much so i think the repetitiveness kind of dis, is, is disguised or hidden because there's just so many options i just think you are not going to run into you know, 15 of the 22 people in your shop playing Edgar Markov, like, was a thing that happened when that deck came out. I think that's just, that's not a world we live in anymore. So even if the commanders are maybe a little bit, maybe remove some of the creativity um, from a lot of the brews, I think you just aren't going to see that. The average player isn't going to get that vibe because there's just so many decks out there. Yeah, certainly the silver lining on all of this is that we have a lot more instances of, like, Oh, what is that card? I've never even heard of that one before. Um, and, and that's a thing, definitely, that I'm 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 happy to see for sure. And another, I mean, half the commanders that you've mentioned, Joey, when you started spouting off Rodolph and all those, like <laughs> I thought you were talking about the reindeer. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, Christmas in July, guys. And, yeah. And as another final thought on this, I guess, like, I also find it kind of interesting that I've seen personally more and more talk of, like, Popper EDH or, Matt, you have a pre-DH deck mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. uh, with your Sig River Guide. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that's my, my Merfolk deck. And that was kind of one thing that I, I like is putting different restrictions onto yeah. any given deck just to... to like you, like we say all the time, restrictions breed creativity. How can I make sure this deck? It's it, pre EDH. You still play with any given commander deck. I mean, you don't have to find specific pods. You can if you want to, and I think it's a lot of fun. But finding different restrictions around what you want to be doing—that's just a fun way to have. It's a different type of puzzle. People want the commander to put the limitations on there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes having kind of a sub format of commander. That's the way that you want to do that. That's totally cool. It's a fun, different exercise 
when you restrict the card pool that you get to work from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like that is also uh, this small intrinsic response to like, oh, there's an overload of legends and overload of product. And having these other potential variations to do is kind of another player response to make sure that we are still finding the fun and not just optimizing things uh, too deeply. Um, so I'm excited to see how some of those variations go because I think that that's another interesting response to this phenomenon that is very constructive rather than uh, us like, you know, sitting around worrying about it. Like players, players are clearly very scrappy. We are very savvy at finding the stuff that we're going to enjoy a whole lot. And that to me is the a, a good takeaway to, to, you know, look at all this data and, and realize, oh, you know what? Players are, players are going where they want to. And that, that's, that's actually pretty reassuring. And uh, Matt, I'm, I'm happy to see that you've got the pre EDH thing going on. I wonder when that bug might bite me too. I mean, it is a good bug to have be bitten by, and you can't really say that by very many bugs, but <laughs> the, the pre-DH bug uh, might be one of the very few. Especially not the Darksteel mutation. That bug sucks. Dana, stop putting that on my commander, please. Stop pinning my commanders to the table. I wanted to do the thing. But it becomes such a good blocker. It's such a good blocker. <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> All right, dang it! You know, I we've we've gone from the food jokes to the bug jokes. I was genuinely I was searching for a, another food joke to wrap us up, go back to that full circle moment, and and uh, end on on another food joke. But Matt, I guess I'm just starved for good food jokes these days. I, I I'm gonna take credit because I gave that to you earlier today, Shh, and so but I am glad that. that you remembered it. They don't need to I'm know that. I'm glad that you remembered my joke. <laughs> I, Matt, you, don't I, have to I, be, you don't have to be salty just because Joey threw some spice. That is true. I mean, I, you can have that one. I'm full of food jokes. <laughs> yeah, you will always be the wizard of this. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, listeners, we would love to hear what you think about this niche deck conundrum. Does it come up in your experience? What are your feelings about commanders that maybe feel like they're on rails? And what are your ways of navigating that situation in the EDH format? We'd love to hear from you. But for now, we're going to call this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5, and we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. It's always a fun time. We have guests on whenever we stream, so make sure you tune in for that too. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDHREC, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on the onlines, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.